everyone. My name is Julia Ferrioli. My pronouns are she, her, and I am recording this for Open Source Stories, and I'm here with Emma. Emma, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, Julia. Yeah, so hi, everyone. My name is Emma Irwin. My pronouns are she and her, and I am coming from Vancouver Island here today to talk to you. Thank you. Exciting. I've never been to Vancouver Island, that is. Um, <laughs> yes, you're invited. <laughs> it's lovely here. Excellent. I'm in Seattle, so not too too terribly far. Yeah, we're neighbors. Um, so I was, before we get into the, the heart of the conversation here, I was wondering if you could share what's a hobby or something that brings you joy right now? Yeah, so um, that question is um, answered with kind of a simple word around gardening and plants. And I never used to be a gardener. I think the pandemic really made it something that I cared about. But it, over the last two, three years, it's become something that really brings me joy. Mm -hmm. um, and especially this year, I, I planted all my own seeds and I have a window seat in my living room where I, uh, no one's allowed to sit there anymore. <laughs> it's like an inside garden house. Uh, um, hot house, and so I planted all. I call them my babies, and my my children will say like, "Look out for mom's babies," because they're all sort of growing. And I've tried all kinds of things this year that I hadn't had success with before. So, and it just brings me joy every day seeing how much more they've grown. And uh, yeah, thinking about getting them out to the garden when it's warm enough. Yeah, that, I've I've been recently trying to get back into gardening as well. Um, a lot of cleanup to do over here, though. So. Yeah, yeah, the mother nature is always coming coming for anything you clear away. <laughs> uh, what what is uh one of the plants that you're you're growing from seed? Um some of the ones that I'm trying this this year that I haven't tried before are just green beans and they're growing like really fast. Maybe that's where Jack and the Beanstalk story comes from. <laughs> I'm just realizing. Um uh also red peppers and um spinach i haven't tried those before i think the red peppers might be a bit of a challenge but i'm hoping the spinach does well because my kale seems to do well out here so kale's super hearty yeah it's so good from the garden it's like when you get it from the grocery store it's quite tough so yes. from the garden it's really quite tasty okay apparently we are um pacific northwest <laughs> stereotypes yes. <laughs> <laughs> um but we're here to talk about open source, so let's switch yeah. tacks a little bit. Although I, I anticipate there's a fair amount of overlap between gardening and I think open so. source. Um, so how long have you been involved in the open source community? That's a really good question because I, um, I think it was definitely a journey where I, I sort of discovered open source early in my developer career, which would probably be close to 20 years ago. Um, as a developer, I got my first job working in, I guess, what would now be a startup. And our a lot of the technology that we were working with and programming languages were open source. We were trying to you know, kind of help those customers and organizations that couldn't afford some of the expensive, pricey uh, solutions. And so I was kind of introduced to it just through my, my first job. And then slowly, learned about communities of some of the technology and uh, programs we're using, found a couple that really felt comfortable. Um, and it's kind of, 
history from there, I just it became um, really passionate about open source, but also helping others get involved in open source, which I think uh, has been really rewarding. Was, was there like an aha moment that you can share about when like the potential of open source really solidified for you? Yeah, definitely. So um, one of the first open source projects that I worked with that also kind of came with a, a visible community was Drupal. So, um, and it was a really kind of a pivotal time for me because I had written at least a couple of content management systems by that point. So I knew uh, just from that history, how much goes into building, you know, uh, software that can manage different, all the things people want to do with their web pages. Um, and so I, we had one client that actually wanted to work with Drupal. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my gosh, like 90% of the stuff that we charged our last customer customer for is built into this open source project and how I was really struck by how that was going to be game changing for some of the customers that were nonprofits and others who, you know, would otherwise have been shut out of having uh, a content management system. And then, so that's just the solution. But I remember going into the community and asking a question about, you know, I was just banging my head together around basically what is a single sign on now between multiple Drupal instances. And someone answered and shared their solution. It's, I was just like, wow, like somebody helped me. This has sped me up. This is, you know, and so I started also trying to answer questions. So that was really for me the, the first kind of, I feel like I can be a part of this. Uh-huh. It. Yeah, it's it's really exciting when it all clicks into place and you get that great dialogue between users and contributors and maintainers. Yeah, it was uh, it was something else. It really reflecting on that. That was definitely the moment where I felt like this is this is where I I want to I want to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. And Drupal is such a great example of a lasting community as well. They've definitely stood the test of time. I think so. I think one of the things that Drupal has done really well is enabled local communities and local developer, you know, kind of meetups and that kind of people coming together locally, but also around specific solutions. Like I've worked in education a lot. So there's, you know, developers, Drupal developers focused on education or finance. And so I think that's helped grow communities of communities. Communities of communities. It's, it's it's not turtles. It's communities all the way down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, so <laughs> let's let's talk about maintainership of projects. Um, in your in your experience, what what makes someone a, a good maintainer, either officially or unofficially? Well, that's a that's a really big <laughs> really big question. I mean, what what comes top of mind is. Um, you know, obviously someone needs, uh, you know, has the skill set to effectively like triage things like PRs and, you know, understands the technology they're working with, but it's really the people side, I think that makes a good maintainer. Um, and that, uh, you know, and that's things like understanding the role of the maintainer role in bringing in new leaders, for example, it's not all about, you know, being able to solve all the problems, people or technology. Uh, that's kind of a little bit of a recipe for 
uh, burnout, which we see a lot in open source, of course. Mm -hmm. um, so definitely about bringing people in, building inclusive spaces, which is uh, can be hard and it requires learning and understanding what that means. And um, I think just being curious, I think probably the theme in all of that is being curious, like how can I help people be more successful? How can I help people step up into leadership roles? How can I, you know, not be the, the blocker for all the things that need to happen to make this project successful? Mm -hmm. so I think those are maybe ways of working than any like specific attributes someone might have. Yeah, I think, I think that's something we see oftentimes the successful projects are the ones that, that lift people up, yeah. right? Um, and don't necessarily feel like a sense of ownership over specific tasks or, or whatnot. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see, something I'd like to see more of, uh, maintainers think more of is we, we talk a lot about sort of good first tasks or good beginner tasks. Like, but what are the good first tasks for someone that really wants to like support a maintainer and the things they need? You know, like we have a, a, um, a contributor uh, triager on one of our Microsoft open source projects. And what we're encouraging, how we're encouraging him to grow in leadership is by, you know, uh, teaching him how to review PRs so that, you know, he can validate this works, this doesn't work, you know, an issue that this, I can validate this fix works, that kind of stuff. Um, instead of it kind of being at this journey that the kind of the uh, nod to the meritocratic, mer meritocratic, <laughs> as I say, it, background where it's like, you have to do this and then you prove yourself. and. So uh, I think that's something that um, I'd love to see more of in the ecosystem. How do we help people step into leadership? If they're ready for it, they have the skills and that, that can only help, I think, both sides. Yeah, the, the mentoring aspect, so crucial. Yeah. Especially working in the open, which can be nerve wracking at the best of times. Yeah, I mean, I've heard that over and over again, no matter where I work or whether someone is hired to work in open source or they're a contributor, uh, that worry of not being perfect is continues to be a big challenge for folks. And, you know, it's understandable, you know, we're trying to build our careers or we really want to represent the companies we work for well. And, and so it does definitely take practice to to be able to share and and, uh, and um, have confidence that that feedback is for your benefit. Of course, you know, if you experience that, that someone is being hostile, that's different. But for the most part, I think great projects like uh, Brust always comes to mind that the type of feedback you're going to get is is the type that will you know, help us move forward. Thank you. So we, we've spoken briefly in another context about the kind of current state of maintainership. And mm -hmm. um, I believe the word that you used was was the legacies involved. Mm -hmm. um, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit towards that. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think the, I mean, you and I have talked and there's others talking um, a lot about sustainability and open source. And, you know, there's some really strong themes uh, around funding maintainers. And then there's sort of a big open question or questions around, you know, what, like, what are other ways we could be sustaining the ecosystem? And for me, there's kind of a curiosity again around um, like who are our maintainers now um, and who are we missing? And so again, just sort of that meritocratic history where you, uh, you know, have to, 
usually there's sort of a, an availability that you have um, that enables you to to work on open source full time. Um, there's certain uh, sort of privileges that, that you know maybe you have a lot of like access to internet and bandwidth. Um, as an only parent of three children, <laughs> I always think about the availability of free time. And so I think in the past, um, not to take away from anyone that is a maintainer has been successful in that, but I, I think in the past that we really haven't, open source hasn't optimized to, um, for us to have a lot more maintainers than we do right now. And I think, um, you know, the availability of free time, being um, physically able to, you know, contribute for many hours during the day uh, is, is another, I mean, there's just so many uh, attributes of inclusion that, you know, just haven't been on the radar until recently. And so I think that one of the, the projects that I think is doing a good job of addressing that right now, the Rust Foundation has an initiative right now to help fund people who work on Rust. And so I think the key word for me there is like people who want to work on Rust. It's not folks that are maintainers necessarily. Um, and it is focused on bringing in diverse people, no matter their background or their abilities, um, where they are to make them successful where they are. And so I'm not sure if I quite answer your question, but I think there's something really interesting for us to think about is how do we, how have we maybe, maybe don't need to reflect too much on how we failed to do that so far, but moving forward, how do we bring in more folks to work on open source where they are based on their capabilities, available time, um, and their goals. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I think that open source, you know, sustainability really hinges on uh, that approach as much as just trying to give money to the maintainers that are making it so far. <laughs> it's, it's also about the social structures that support yeah. them. Exactly. Yeah. Thank, yeah. Thank you for elaborating on that. Um, I'm, as, as a bit of a as a bit of a follow up, um, how how do you see the kind of interactions between uh, the people who are paid to work on open source full time and the people who um, contribute to open source in their in their spare time? Because not all of us get to get paid to do that, right? No. Um, how are the dynamics at, uh, at play there? These are such good questions. I'm probably going to think of really great answers after this call, but I'll, I'll definitely take a shot at it. So I think that, um, I mean, it's such an interesting question. I think just, first of all, with the lens of uh, folks who are paid to work on open source, you know, some, including myself, came from having contributed to open source and sort of gain visibility that way. And that's a really hard way to get a job <laughs> sometimes, right? Um, you know, and I think that that sometimes, it's not intentional, but uh, I think that's that's one way people come into the role. Another way people come into working in open source is that they have a specific skill set that an open source project needs. And I think those folks sometimes have, you know, uh, an interesting journey in that they're kind of put into an open source project um, they might not understand all that that means as far as their their role in building healthy and inclusive community. Something that I've done at, at Microsoft and I do at Mozilla is I run code of conduct, uh, inclusive governance training, I call it, just to help uh, people who are new to open source or uh, curious how, how uh, 
you know, interacting and creating those spaces, what it looks like and what our obligation is. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are two things that come to mind when somebody is working for um, an open source project. For those that are not, I think definitely that, that um, it can be really rewarding depending on who the project is. You know, I've worked with some great projects that really uh, seem to care about my success and, and set me up that way. I've also worked for those where I kind of went flat out and <laughs> never really uh, gained uh, maybe the, the skills that I was hoping to or the mentorship that I was hoping to. So I, I guess I would say that those who are not paid take a lot more risk. There's a lot more risk in working. And, you know, that can be, you know, from a safety perspective, you know, when talking code of conduct, it's a risk just stepping into an open source project and trusting that folks have your best interest at heart. It can be a risk in that you're donating time uh, that may not be uh, appreciated. Um, but the flip side is also true. You, you know, finding a community of people where you feel like you belong, where you're like so excited to, to see them every day um, and where your work is valued and recognized. So it's it's a risk, but it's also like huge opportunities. And I, I think some projects are getting a lot better at, at really demonstrating to folks like projects those are. So oh. <laughs> yeah, I hope that answered your question. There's a, a bit of mulling over. Yeah, no, that was that was excellent. Thank you. Um I know we only have a couple of minutes left. Um is there anything else you'd like to to add today as as some parting thoughts or wisdom? Um, I guess I would just add on to the last bit that we talked about in that I think there are also some folks that really can never work, um, work um, contribute to open source, that their, li- you know, their livelihood is, does not make it possible. So, um, but something to leave with, oh my gosh, I mean, I guess, I guess, um, I guess I would say that I'm still, one of my favorite things about open source is the opportunity to learn and grow. You know, I, I, I personally had, um, you know, like a one year developers, I guess they're like a boot camp, but not really. Um, and I did a lot of open source in my career. I sort of hit that glass ceiling and I would consider, you know, what do I want to learn and what projects are, you know, building that software. And I would head over there and, and kind of like just learn and watch. And so I, I just love to think of open source as a great place to learn. And for those who are curious uh, about pretty much anything <laughs> to, 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 um, to learn and kind of get past any glass ceilings are hitting. Good projects, uh, of course, uh, being, being the places to learn. See, it's kind of the, the, the world's university in some senses. Yeah, yeah I think so. Uh, I'm definitely, I feel very, very privileged to have had the opportunity to work with great projects and mentors and um, hopefully it can be that for other people as well. Awesome. Well, thank you, Emma. Um, Thanks so much for joining us on Open Source Stories. um, Thanks, Julia.